I don't believe you can ever progress a conversation by just, you know, talking to, to people who, who look and sound like you. you. You need to step out beyond that. Hello and welcome to this episode of Planning Ahead, the podcast series brought to you by Warwick Plan. In this episode today, I'm delighted to be joined by Jeffrey Parsons, Chief Empathy Officer of the Inclusion Imperative. Since departing a successful 35-year career working as an executive in financial services, Jeffrey founded the Inclusion Imperative, an independent diversity, equity and inclusion consultancy organisation. Jeffrey's work to advance LGBTQ plus workplace inclusion has been recognised with the LGBTQ plus Inspirational Leader Award in 2019, and he was also included in the Guardian's Pride Power List in 2022, and has been named in the annual list of top 100 LGBTQ plus executives globally three times. I'm thrilled to have him on today's episode, so without any further ado, please enjoy Jeffrey Parsons, Chief Empathy Officer. So, hi, Jeffrey. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I thought we'd start by perhaps talking about your work title. So you describe yourself as a CEO or a chief empathy officer. Um, and obviously, that's slightly different to what most people may understand CEO to stand for. So I don't know whether you could tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind that title. I could. Thank you very much, Zach. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the inclusion imperative, which is the, the, the diversity, equity and inclusion consultancy that I set up, earlier this year is just me um, because uh, I'm the the only thing that there is there. So the CEO could just as easily say chief everything officer, but I think I wanted to prioritize the empathy because for me, empathy is one of the critical ingredients of, of leadership that, that, that needs to be uh, displayed and and, and practiced every day uh, in order for for leaders to make the, the, the best of their staff. So empathy for me is, is, is critical to, to authentic leadership. It's critical to creating psychological safety and, and promoting inclusion in the workplace and allowing everybody to, to, be, uh, to be themselves. So I wanted to emphasize that. Um, and uh, hopefully that's, a few people have noticed it. Yeah, brilliant. So what was it exactly that encouraged you to kind of take that step to start the inclusion imperative and, and move forward in you know, a more independent direction? Mm. Um, well, it was a discussion I've been having with myself for the last few years, really, because um, I'm closer to 60 than 50 now. It, there's, there's, a, there's a time in your life when you think, you know, what do I want to do with the rest of my professional career? Uh, and I spent 35 years as a front office executive in, in financial services, pretty successfully doing, doing really good things. But, you know, the, the role that I had um, been recruited for at my last uh, organization, Macquarie Group, had evolved um, just because of the way that uh, regulations had evolved. Um, but the actual original purpose of my job had, had changed so much that increasingly what I was spending my time and more my energies on was the stuff that I was really meant to be doing side of desk, which was really about promoting inclusion, which is something I just I just picked up the the you know the uh, yeah, the initiative with myself and and found that that was was really what gave me a skip in my step in the mornings rather than necessarily my day job. So, you know, earlier this year, there was a a natural breaking point just because um, as head of the LGBTQ plus network at Macquarie, I was very pleased that we got uh, placed perhaps to everyone's surprise as number one on the the Stonewall rankings this year. So Macquarie is uh, officially now the most LGBTQ plus friendly workplace in the UK. And I thought there can't be a better mic drop moment than that. Um, for me to leave and, and just say, okay, fine, this is what I really care about now. I, I'm, my passion is promoting inclusion, and I should use that 
skill set and my personal experience and my time to to try and help other organizations get better at this space the way I, I had done at Macquarie. Um, because I believe commercial organizations are are you know the, the agents of change in this space. We, we can't be leaving it to to elected bodies like governments, etc. There are far too many political pulls, etc. But organizations who have the influence, the reach, the wherewithal, the clout, you know, we should we should be making sure that they are great agents of change for society generally. And the first step in them doing that is to get their own house in order and become great inclusion in, uh, examples of inclusion internally. So that was my inspiration. And, uh, and uh, that's really what I've been doing since uh, February this year. Yeah, brilliant. So for someone who you just said, um, kind of picked up the mantle of, you know, the responsibility of diversity and inclusion and things like that. Obviously, I'd expect some people have a prior understanding of kind of what that means or what that means to them. But I thought I'd just ask now, what does that mean to you? And how do you see the DNI space and what it stands for kind of evolving? What does it mean now compared to, say, 10 years ago? Well, it is interesting. I'm glad you used the word evolving. It is interesting to see the evolution of it because, you know, it, it's it's gone way past now. And, you know, what, what used to be the priority of just saying, OK, we need diversity. So we do need more female presence in the boardroom. We need more ethnic minority representation, et cetera. Um, all of that is very valid, but there is an understanding, I think, that if you just focus on diversity, that is something which you can satisfy almost tokenistically. Yes, you can recruit people who are you know, meeting that particular characteristic that you want to be um, platforming, if you like, um, but it doesn't necessarily create anything which is um, valuable within the workspace. And, and really, we're talking about culture shift and, and, and bedding down uh, you know, a, a more inclusive culture in, in the DNA of the organization. So what D, so D expanded to become DNI, which is now, which is diversity and inclusion. And subsequently it's more recently become diversity, equity and inclusion. So you'll see it more around as DENI. Some people even tack B on the end as a belonging. But basically what we're talking about here is, you know, seeking diversity in, in the workplace. And that's just not visible diversity. It's diversity of, of thought, of perspective, of background, of values. So that it, people are bringing different things to the conversation. It's not just everybody singing from the same song sheet. If you do that, you're basically all going to be, you know, agreeing with each other. You're risking things like groupthink. You're, you're not really going to get a creative spark. Um, and so DEI is really the, an acknowledgement that people are organic. You know, they are not all automatons who, who think the same way. And if we encourage them to be that, then all we're doing is basically setting ourselves up for future failure and not future-proofing ourselves by encouraging their input and their, the synergy that is created by their creativity and their innovation. Um, all you're doing is, is, is saying, well, you know, we, we're going to be carrying doing the same thing as we will, and eventually the market will overtake you. So there's plenty of, of, of bodies of evidence out there about just how organizations who are diverse and inclusive you know, so not just diverse, but well-managed, inclusive, you know, a, a team that is diverse and inclusive will, will outperform what appears to be a much substantially better qualified homogeneous team, just because of the synergy that comes from the celebrating difference. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that's been borne out by endless pieces of research. And, you know, it, it helps both the organization, because obviously that's going to create, um, you know, innovation, 
um, and, and progressive thinking, which will help the bottom line. And it's also going to help the individual because the individual and the team that the individual is part of, you know, they can be themselves in that, in that space. They don't have to spend their time code switching into behaviors they think that the organization would expect them to do. Um, they don't have to spend their time covering, pretending they're someone they're not, self-regulating, isolating from the conversation in case you get uh, put in a position where you might want to be or might, might need to be kind of revealing more about yourselves than you want to. So it's it's uh, everybody's a winner, but you know that's what D and I is really about. It's acknowledging that that people are, are organic creatures and they have different perspectives and different values and thought patterns to, to contribute. And this is a way of, of making sure that that, that happens. Mm, I think the point you were raising there about the sort of tokenistic side of it is really interesting because I know for me personally, something that I've experienced a lot is kind of you know at school at university people. You know, teaching you about understanding your own self-worth and the value that you have in a particular uh, setting in a workplace and there's always the risk um, with DNI of you know it becoming a, a tick box it becoming a way of a corporation proving that they are keeping up with the time so how as someone who has worked in that space for so long do you think is the best way to approach both meeting corporate targets, but also making sure that it actually has the effect on the employees and the workspace that you want to achieve? Yeah, I mean, this is something that 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 is a, a constant um, be in everyone's bonnet, and it particularly becomes centre of, of everyone's attention in Pride Month every year, of course, in, in June, when suddenly everyone slaps a, a rainbow on their logo, not everyone, but an awful lot of people. I proudly have a rainbow right behind me, of course, but that is what I do. And, you know, you'll see that all day, every day on, on, on what I do. But suddenly you, you get corporates who decide that it's a good idea to, to try to, you know, really platform their, their LGBTQ plus credentials, which, I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not opposed to that by any means because visibility is is crucial for, for the, the, you know, the, the progressive further inclusion of what is a minority characteristic after all. What I object to and what everybody should object to, of course, is where that is done for, for cynical reasons and isn't actually backed up with, with substantive work practices, which, which merits the, you know, the sort of um, a claim that they're really seeking at, at that point to say, you know, you know if they're, they're chasing, for want of a better phrase, the pink pound um, by just saying, look, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Consumer, we are, you know, we look how inclusive we are. We've got a rainbow, a rainbow on our logo. If that's actually not backed up by really things that they're doing, if they're if they are, you know, not creating inclusive workspaces for their staff, if they're also, you know, contributing to you know adverse conversation, for example, by, you know, making contributions to organisations that that are anything but LGBTQ plus in, inclusive, you know, that is cynical, and and that's something which you know there are plenty of people out there who are, you know, much wider reach than I do, who are very good at calling that out, and really that's what we need to be doing is 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 calling it out and making sure that you know organisations like that know that what they're doing is is welcoming concept because we want you know we want them to be platforming you know that LGBTQ plus and inclu inclusion and rights, but we want them to go further than that and say look it, it's really about making sure this is lived. A lived experience it's it's walking it not just talking it and so all of the work that that i do as, as, as a consultant or someone even just who goes in and talks to organizations um, and helps to mentor and coach you know that's the sort of thing that, that we can do to help those organizations understand that this is really not just about slapping a rainbow on it to use the phrase that, that gets used in the in the press this is really about making sure that that everybody 
of all minority characteristics feels that they can be and give of them best their best selves in the workplace and that the organization is embracing that um, and encouraging the, the authenticity that 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 should allow them you know, the people like that to, to to display and live every day yeah and in terms of you know the way in which corporations respond to times like pride month and obviously now we're in october which is black history month and you see a lot of the the different kind of changes of focus but it all appears quite surface level so what is the way of you know reminding people that it's more than just the outside and how it appears and like you say putting you know rainbow flags into a logo or something like that how do you make sure that the education and the information that deserves to be spread particularly during those um, times of the year actually goes in and how do you combat those workplace environments where perhaps there's a divide between who is more receptive to this information mm. this education well this this is the whole task around around inclusion it's why i spend most of my time doing um and and other consultants will be doing the same is going in and, and really helping organize organizations you know strip this back to the bone and say look you know what what are we what are we good at? What are we bad at here? What, what are we missing? And that, that's, you know, fundamental root and branch review of, of policies and practices. You know, what are your systemic day-to-day practices? Yes, for, you've got probably a nice DNI page on your in, in your annual report and, and on your website, but, you know, what is the actual lived experience of the people, you know, who are at the coalface in your, in your workplace? And, you know, that, that probably really needs to start with data, um, data collection, just to make sure that, you know, you understand the problem. That of itself throws up a bit of a difficulty because, you know, there are sensitivities around collecting data for minority characteristics in particular that are not, not visible. It's, it's challenging enough just to say, well, how many people of ethnic minority and, and you know, female do we have, for example, but asking people to, to voluntarily disclose, for example, that they are LGBTQ+, which is for you know largely an invisible characteristic and and therefore requires a, d- a degree of of trust and disclosure in the first to, to disclose in the first place you know that it's that's a challenge not only because of, of of legal and cultural constraints but also it's a circular problem you know people are only going to be giving that information out when they feel comfortable and that there is a psychologically safe environment in which they feel safe enough to do that and you won't have created that probably if you are at the stage where you don't have an idea of what that problem is. So, you know, it's, there's a bit of a a circular, uh, a a logic there, but you need to understand what the problem is. And then you need to go right through the whole, the whole gamut of, of, of the day-to-day experience. You know, how can we make sure this is part of the, the the daily conversation? You know, it's, it's something that should be absolutely usualized, not even normalized, usualized in, in a a day-to-day discussion. So, any sort of minority um, perspective should be celebrated. And we want to make sure that, that the managers in particular, and that's managers at all levels, not just the tone from the top, but, but the, you know, the, the people who are really creating the culture on the day-to-day basis, which tends to be line managers, understand that, albeit they've got a million other things to think about, like a crucifying budget and the lack of resources and you know, lots of people like me telling them they should be doing things, but their boss is telling them they've got other priorities. They need to find ways to ensure that all perspectives are valued and that they do not just fall into the the, the temptation to assimilate, just make everybody look like they are, you know, fall into that affinity bias trap and say, you know, let's all do things the way we always have done. Let's always recruit exactly the same people who who look and sound 
like we do, and we'll just keep going business as usual. You know, we need to get in and, and look at those those systemic practices and policies that support them. You know, really, you know, across the board, and you know that that involves empowering a few people. So you know, you do need a, a good, a powerful HR presence and a, a, somebody who is really championing DEI, ideally a dedicated DEI resource, but it needs to be someone who is sufficiently senior, experienced, and holds some gravitas so that executives will listen to them. And where you've got people like uh, like yourself, you know, for you know giving their time for employee resource groups, make sure that, that is that is something which is, you know, taken seriously. It's 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 rewarded, it's recognized, and it's it's basically seen as value add and not something which is just done as a distraction from your day job so there, there's lots of things that organizations can be doing and and really we're talking about getting in and looking at what they've got right now and and where the gaps are and and, and how we can help them fill those gaps and progress on their journeys yeah absolutely i think if we now perhaps sort of flip the perspective and kind of look at the employers particularly people perhaps around my age maybe a few years older who are kind of like entering the workplace you know there's already that pressure of kind of being at the bottom of the the ladder and you know trying to earn that respect and earn you know your your way up through a business or work through your career and you were talking earlier about it being lgbtq plus being that sort of invisible um trait that a lot of people will choose to keep invisible for that very reason so while you know we can sit here and talk about all of the efforts that companies are doing what sort of advice would you give to people that are still not potentially as confident in themselves as they want to be or feel that perhaps most of this is just words and they still don't feel like they've got that you know reassurance from prospective mm. employers well i mean this is a this area is a, was a major motivator for me actually one a few, a few years ago when i really decided that this is something that I was going to really actively pursue and support because, I mean, to take the example of my last employer, Macquarie, which is was a fantastic place to work and it's extremely inclusive. And it always kind of was because Australians are, you know, I don't want to don't want to generalize too much, but Australians are, are pretty laid back people, you know, nothing really stresses them out. Um, and, you know, they, th- there was a general sort of assumption, I think, that, you know, no worries, mate, nothing really mattered. You didn't need to to make a big deal about anything. And, and that was, that's very admirable. And ultimately that's where we all want the world to be that you know, none of this actually matters. And we're all just basically, you know, able to be of ourselves and it's not, you know, no issues, but the world isn't like that yet. And workplaces are not like that yet. And what I observed at Macquarie when I first joined there and took up the chair, the chairship of the, uh, the, the LGBTQ plus ERG was that it was a very small network at that point and grew an awful lot under my tenure. But the, the people who were involved at the early stages were all very senior and, and you know, fairly long in the tooth and quite senior people, you know, sort of like myself. There were no young people involved. There were no, you know, sort of people who you, you know, see as the future. I had to ask myself why that was. And it comes down to the point that you, I think you're raising, which is, you know, well, is it safe for me to do so? You know, is it's, you know, how do I know it is safe? And, and Macquarie, it was it was a safe place for people to do that. They just didn't know it because they were so laid back about it. They did not make an issue of, of saying, you know, you're you are welcome here. You know, your, your perspective and your you know your your minority characteristic is is something to be celebrated rather than something you need to just uh, you know hide because you know we actually value it. Um, so you know, I, I made a great effort at Macquarie to make sure that you know there was 
very direct and explicit outreach to 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 younger people to say look you know this is something where you know the organization is going to not not only kind of accept and tolerate it's going to celebrate um so you know organizations should be doing that they need to be more you know more explicit in their messaging and that comes down therefore to the two-way street of, of if you're a young person looking for a, an appropriate employer just do your research you know it's 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 important to see which organizations out there have this track a good track record in this and you know naturally you know you could be the person the individual person who if an organization isn't quite where it needs to be yet changes that but you know assuming that you don't want to be blazing a trail on the foot you know when you are you know very very young in your career and you need to spend 100 hours just just working to to get through um you know think about who the organization is and on what their dei credentials and particularly their lgbtq plus credentials are you know have a look at what they actually do not just you know the the the, the nice sound bites that are on the you know the, the relevant page of the annual report or on the website you know actually try to dig into you know the issues about what they're actually doing you know what outward facing work they're doing is there an, uh, an, an ERG? How active is it? You know, what, what is actually being done to support it? Um, how do managers, you know, handle this? You know, it's, it's something which, you know, that awkward question you get at the end of every interview. Have you got any questions for us? And everyone thinks, oh, blimey, I don't, I don't want to say anything too much. That is, you know, if you if you want to take that opportunity, that is a very good opportunity to do that. And I, I do think that not only pre-interview, but during interview, it is really worth spending those few minutes to, to actually try to, to, to initiate a conversation, which not only makes it clear to the employer that this matters to you and you want to make sure that that is clear, not only before you start, but also, you know, as of when, you know, you're actually doing your job, but it's, it's clear to them that this is something which you are passionate about and, and they expect you as an employer to, to be performing as. So, you know, those are, are things that people should be doing is paying attention to this, you know, both before and after they, they actually join uh, you know, organizations. Yeah, brilliant. And I think it's it's very interesting because it's such a, a multi-layered issue of, you know, some people are at that point where they do feel comfortable to, you know, be asking those questions. And I mean, even just to go in and kind of just be their authentic selves. And, you know, I'm in a position where I feel comfortable enough myself to go and do that. But I know a lot of people aren't. Um, and one question I sort of had along those lines was obviously you're someone who has won many awards, been recognised at multiple times for your work and being an advocate for our community. Does that kind of make you feel as though people are more obliged to listen to you? And on a sort of similar level, do you think that, you know, people that feel, well, I want to raise this at work, but I'm scared of what people are going to respond. Is that a valid sort of fear to have and if so how would you approach that if you are say you know 20 in in your first job again yeah well i mean the two separate points there thank you for raising um embarrassing me with the, the mention about the awards um um you know that doesn't require or create any um, any sort of assumption that people are obliged to listen to me um you know what what i want people to do is 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 really you know use these ways of, of just making sure that the world knows that that people are are on their side here and organizations are prioritizing this so you know it's 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 not really about everybody dressing up and going and having a nice dinner and, and patting themselves on the back you know that that is i mean lovely that that is we all like a bit of a do but you know at the same time it's really just about an acknowledgement of of work done i mean 
there, there are plenty of photos out of out there of me, you know, receiving particularly the first award that that I picked up at the Pink News Awards, looking like I'd just been hit by a truck because I was so shocked by it. You know, this this was not something which I'd ever ex- expected to have to do. It's like stand on a, a, a at a podium and give a thank you speech. And I certainly didn't, didn't expect to win that night. It was lovely to do that, but really, what it was about for me was just saying, well, look, you know, this is something which I think the world should know we are we are all about you know we are we care about this enough to to really spend time and effort about you know about pushing it uh, and you know so it, it's it's about recognition and that, and that doesn't just stop at you know nice shiny awards recognition comes you know day to day you know just making sure that you are being heard it also comes in 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 making sure as i said earlier that people who spend their time doing this are are not felt not made to feel that they're doing it to the detriment of their job it is it is an enhancer. It is a synergy. It is it is building upon their job. So if you are involved in an organisation's DEI or LGBTQ plus inclusion work, such as through an, uh, an employee resource group, you know that should be recognised and 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 you should be given credit for that, even if it's not financial. Ideally, it should be financial, but it should at least be something which you are recognised for, including by so internal recognition. You know, maybe your name might be on some sort of honour roll or something like that. So that sort of thing is is very good to make sure that you know, people understand that organisations are really embracing this, and and it's effectively role modelling, right? We're talking about putting people up as saying, look, this is somebody who, you know, is prepared to to help push for the 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 equity that we want to to exist in the workplace and beyond. Um, and you know, to, to your other point about is is it a valid concern? Um, of course it is, and and that's you know it took me half of my career to come out, you know, like admittedly, you know, my career started back in the eighties and the world was a pretty different place. So I, you know, maybe it wouldn't take me that long now. I hope it wouldn't, but people are different and everybody's journey is different. Everybody's journey is valid and people do things at different times. And and it, it, that comes down to the diversity that we, we want. And not everybody is going to be exactly the same saying, okay, first day at work, I'm going to go in there and declare myself to be, you know, an out and proud gay man in my case. So, do it in your own time and and but but seek out support groups find the safe spaces if you are you know hesitant about how you know how you will be received you know a good organization will find buddies for you anyway you know a good organization should be you know making it a soft landing when you just start work with for them in all ways and and you know my old shop macquarie for example when you started you were assigned a buddy and you had the, the, the opportunity to ask for that buddy to have certain characteristics if you wanted. So, you know, some people would prefer a female buddy. Some people would prefer um, an ethnic minority buddy. Some people would prefer somebody who is from the LGBTQ plus community. And they would do their best to do to, to, to satisfy that request. And that person could help you sort of negotiate your way through to become part of the organization and feel at home just to speed you along that process where you you would get to the stage where you felt like you could, you know, raise your voice about things that, that matter to you. And then find the other safe spaces. There will be people, as I said, if you've done your research, for example, there, there should be an employee resource group, or if there isn't, there will be external networks that, that you can go and talk to. These are places that you can really start with. Find your safe space, find your voice, find the people who will support you, and then build from there. Nobody has to do this everything all in on day one. That's That's not the assumption. It's great if you want to do that, but I don't assume that people can because I certainly did not. Um, but it's something that you can do progressively if you build from things like safe spaces uh, within organisations. Yeah, fantastic. I think that that takes us on to kind of maybe taking a, a step back to your your time at Macquarie with um, the LGBTQ plus group, because I think it also rings back to what we were talking about earlier about tokenism and perhaps maybe a sort of 
apprehension that people might have that these groups exist to serve a purpose and it takes someone like yourself to really you know take it by the reins and use it for what it really should be used for and achieve that safe space and that community within a workspace so if we kind of go back to when you first joined the group and when you then left the company how have you sort of overseen that evolution to kind of make it serve that more human rather than corporate purpose yeah that's um that's actually something i'm got great question is i'm very proud of, of 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 that journey actually and it wasn't the journey which i set out to achieve at the start of you know day one i did not set out on that journey but the journey is something which you know really took over um as i, as I mentioned i mean Macquarie well, was not the first time that I did this. I mean, my previous employer was BNP Paribas in London, French bank in London. Um, and I was one of the founder members of the, the LGBTQ plus network there as well. Um, but that was, you know, much more embryonic. And it was, you know, also a few years earlier. And, and frankly, I was still sort of like, you know, deep into my, my front office career and, and, and prioritizing, prioritizing that because it was still mid-career for me. Um, but it's when I joined Macquarie um, and realized, you know, such a great place to work and, and just how, how, you know, how horizontal that organization is compared to any that I'd worked for and just how open door it was in terms of culture. It really, you know, occurred to me that, you know, this, this should be a, a much more obviously inclusive place than, than perhaps it was for the reasons I was saying earlier. I mean, you know, why were there not more people involved in the network and why were there not more young people? And what was the missing ingredient? And it just, you know, it required somebody to just take it, take that on as a sort of mission to see, well, how can I fix this? And, and, you know, it just requires energy. It's amazing how once you start, there's a snowball effect and, and the, the number of people who want to get involved, but who, who couldn't take that first step alone, which is, which is, it's great to have those people who are, you know, really in, in the starting gate, ready to go for you. And, you know, within, within the first few months of, um, of, of taking over the chairship at Macquarie, the, the network was literally about a dozen people um, when I started, and we made it to three figures, a hundred. The organisation is two thousand people, or at the time it was more like fifteen hundred people within the region, and we got a hundred of them, you know, as members and allies, you know, within the first few weeks, and and that was a, a great a great way to build to build from. By the time we finished, I finished at Macquarie, a third, literally a third of the staff were either members or allies of, of the network, and you know that's something which you know progressed just because of all of the things that we had to do so it was a, it was making it a, a a daily part of the conversation i you know spent a lot of energy in making sure that that you know not not a single date of significance in the lgbtq plus calendar went by without without something being acknowledged about that some internal communications or some event or something which would draw, draw attention to it just to make sure that it became part of the conversation. We, it, we didn't stop at Pride Month, you know, or even Ida Hobbit. There was obviously History Month, but right through the year, there's there's other dates of significance, and they were all something we would we would work on. And you know, it's it, lots and lots of events and things like that to just make sure that people realised that there were lots of things you could do here. It wasn't just about learning; it was also about celebrating and having some fun. You know, if if all you're doing is lecturing people the whole time, they they think, oh great, you know, but I'm not going to come to to, you know, that's a bit dry. So, you know, we might find most to make it fun by holding ping pong tournaments and having drag bingo nights and things like that. You know, just finding ways of getting bums on seats to get the message out, um, which which was very important. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the evolution was 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 excellent and, and, and I, I loved every minute, minute of it. But I personally mentally delayed my my departure from Macquarie by a, a good year or two because although I mentioned that the perfect mic drop moment 
um, earlier this year, you know, I, it was clear to me that, you know, this was something which I really wanted to, to get on with. Um, I just didn't, wasn't sure that, you know, it was you know, Macquarie's success in this space would survive my departure. Um, just because you see a lot of organizations where this is very much wrapped up in a few key individuals. And when they leave, suddenly that organization disappears from, from everyone's radar. And that's, that's not what I wanted. I wanted to leave a legacy. And I'm very proud at Macquarie that I have done that. And um, kind of almost unbeknownst to them, I, I recruited two co-chairs. Um, big up to Harry Walton and, and Charlie Clark, who are now the co-chairs at, at Macquarie, who are amazing guys. Um, and, you know, they, they are now co-chairing it and, and they've run with it brilliantly. And, you know, I, I was very pleased to make sure that that succession planning was in place before, before I left, because nothing breaks my heart more than seeing all of this work just, just fall off a cliff when, when one or two key people leave that, that, that means it's not, it's not really part of the corporate culture at all. It's really just one person being a squeaky wheel. And although I was a squeaky wheel, I did not want it to end with me. You made an interesting point for me there, mentioning um, the allies within the network and kind of the importance of kind of extending the membership towards, you know, everyone and, and not having it become a sort of LGBTQ plus sort of clique that I think a lot of times, um, especially, you know, in, in my experience of a university context, it's something that I know people are mindful of. And so making sure that you have not only allies, but people that are committed advocates for the community rather than, you know, that very surface level definition of an ally just being someone that respects or tolerates or, you know, any other of the plethora of words that people have used to describe it at a very surface level. So what kind of value does extending the membership to anyone that is willing to, you know, celebrate and embrace the queer community? Um, and what, what did that bring to the to the group with you at Macquarie? Well, it, it's, I mean, it's absolutely crucial. I mean, we have to start with the basic fact that, you know, as an LGBTQ plus community, we are a minority and, you know, pick your statistic, but at the most, we're probably about 5% of, of the general populace. So, you know, if we are going to be heard, we do need other people to amplify the message. Um, and we do need... You know, people who are, are who are not identifying as part of the community to help us in our in our not only you know getting the awareness out there, but also just really making an effort to for, for people to understand that this is something which actually does matter not only to the individual but also in the, even in a corporate space. So allies are crucial, and and you know a good allies program is is a massive amplifier because. You know, otherwise, um, to the point you just made, really, you, you end up with a situation where it's effectively just a little, little vested interest group of people who are not in any way diverse, you know, because they are, but you know, by definition, just or LGBTQ+. And so, you know, we're almost as a microcosm sort of flying in the face of, of what we're trying to achieve here, which is, you know, that we are all inclusive, you know, by creating an exclusive group, you know, that that's actually not not doesn't make sense at all and and you know i was chatting on a podcast just a couple of days ago about some of the pitfalls that, that organizations need to avoid on the journey to inclusion and one of them i always said is that you know you you, you need not you, you need to make sure that you make an effort not to exclude people who are you know really willing to help and you know not everybody needs to have this lived experience not everybody needs to be of that minority characteristic there is to take another analogy, you do not have to be a woman to join a, a gender network. You know, you'd be amazed the amount of guys at work. I, I said, well, you know, why aren't you an ally to the, the gender network? And they were like, well, you know, it's not my space. I'm not, I'm not a woman. Yeah, no, but you can support what they're, what they're 
trying to achieve. And, you know, and that that's true of every minority characteristic. So, you know, I, I'm a proud ally of of all other minority characteristics, and made made an effort to to make sure that, that was that was explicit. So, you know, it, it's really about making sure that that you don't just stop at your own little vested interest, and you understand that the conversation should be inclusive of people who are able to understand and able and willing to to help you progress that that journey. And you, you mentioned the, the the two words they, you know, ally is is what everybody knows and and. It comes in for a bit of criticism because some people see it as a, a quite a, a passive term. <clears throat> it's not meant to be that, but you also mentioned advocate, which is really how you take it from being passive to active, if you like. <clears throat> so just saying, yes, I'm supportive of LGBTQ plus equality and inclusion, that's that's all very well, but what are you doing about it? You know, that that's that's the critical question. And you know, hand on heart. I'm not saying you know that, that all of the one-third of the people at my my old shop, Macquarie were advocates, most of them were what I would consider to be, to be allies, as in they were passively supportive, you know, that they believe in LGBTQ plus equality, but, you know, really weren't really, you know, not, not or either didn't feel equipped or didn't feel prioritized to, to do much more than that. Maybe they would pop a rainbow l- lanyard on during Pride Month, that sort of thing. Um, it's not, not, not tokenistic, you know, I, I do value that um and it is important to understand that we don't expect everybody to be placard waving and and activist oriented but we do need a certain amount of people to to say look you know this is not who i am but i do want to stand with this this uh this community and help them progress so you know just because i'm i'm not of color for example doesn't mean that i should not be concerned when something like you know, the murder of George Floyd happened. You know, I, I should be able to say, look, you know, Black Lives Matter to me as well. You know, there's just an example, but, you know, I, I'm not going to just say, well, it's somebody else's problem. You know, that, that's a phrase that uh, I've seen used a lot. And, you know, my fav- one of my favorite authors, Douglas Adams, used to talk about that a lot. He was called it somebody else's problem. You know, it, it's, it will go away. If, if you just don't look at it, it doesn't exist. That's, that's not the case here. We want people to actually step up as, as, as advocates for that. But it is a two-way street, and if we want people to, to be fighting our cause, we need to give them the tools to do that. And that was a common request that I've always seen, it's certainly when I was at Macquarie and before that at BNP Paribas, is, okay, I believe in what you're doing, but what, what do you want me to do? And, you know, it, it's not obvious for most people that we, what, what, what we want, and, you know, we just need to give them a few tips. It can be, that, you know, the, the really basic stuff about making sure that you put your pronouns in, in, your, in your email footer or that you ask people about, how they identify when you, when you meet them or check that you've got you know that sort of thing correct you know make sure you you, you do do the, the the visible stuff like you know make sure that you are um posting or putting your name to things you're not you know you, you've got to during pride month do put your your, your your pride flag on your desk wear your rainbow lanyard but you know try to make this something that you, you people know matters matters to you daily um and you know the perhaps the key issue is around is attitude um, including in, an inclusive behavior. So if you're a manager or you've got any sort of influence in the organization, make sure that the, the viewpoints of people in every minority characteristic is, is included and called upon. And we don't just ask the same people who look and sound like us, you know, really what, what we should be doing and, and how we should be doing things. So, you know, there's, there's all of that. And there's also, you know, that's, that's kind of more carrot oriented. There is a little bit of stick, you know, we do expect people to, to be helping us look out for things which are of concern you know I, i've spent a lot awful lot of my career on a trading floor and trading floors are, are pretty 
macho environments generally um and some of the things you hear make your toes curl i mean like you know it's it's just like really um and you know people will dismiss it i just banter it doesn't matter well you know it's not for them to judge that it doesn't matter you know somebody within earshot of somebody making what they think is a throwaway homophobic comment and somebody who is perhaps in the closet and within earshot of that is going to stay in the closet because you know that that is something which is going to make it very clear to them that this environment is non-inclusive it's toxic and you know, I, I would do well to keep my head down. And so I'm, I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to self-regulate. I'm not going to get uh, involved in what that group is is all about. I'm going to not give of my fullest self. And that's not good for the well-being of that individual. It's calamitous for the team because they are losing that potential uh, resource from its fullest potential, and it's certainly not getting the synergy that the the, the different perspectives would would bring. Um, and you know, it just it, it just makes no sense. So you know, it's very important for allies to, to to step up in situations like that and become true advocates but this is a part of a daily daily conversation I, I think they, they need to say, to say this is something that I, I bring as part of who I am to the workplace every day and everything that I do yeah well, what you were saying just there reminds me of a, an article I was reading about sort of the, the way in which um, its author was interpreting kind of the way that the queer community uses the word pride and you know, sort of flipping on its head and looking at the kind of idea of the struggle that this, like any other minority community, has gone through in order to reach where we are now and what we want to achieve in the future. Um, but but almost that idea of you know resisting that help and wanting to to persevere and achieve it because it's something that you know isolation is a, something that a lot of queer people I know have experienced myself included at times so how do for, for people like that who are going through those sorts of emotions how do we accept that help how do we say yes to people that are willing to support a cause are willing to you know call out someone in the office for making a homophobic comment for yeah. you know showing clear signs of kind of like even just ignorance, you know, it doesn't have to be malicious. It's it's merely, you know, knowing someone that's got your back, but also wanting to accept that help. How would you kind of advise people to sort of embrace that and know that there are people there willing to support you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was talking earlier about um, you know, how you find your voice and, 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 and seeking out safe spaces at, at work. And to the point you're just making, I mean, it, it can be challenging to, to open up yourself to the level of trust that 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 is required to embrace that. And if somebody who is not of your minority characteristic is is you know reaching out, you know, how do you resist the temptation to flinch and say, well, look, you know, is is this really something which you know I, I really ought to embrace, or would I be better just keeping my head down? And it, almost back to the point I made very early on about about a, a, a psychologically safe workspace for 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 in, enough of enough disclosure of yourself to, to enable, you know, even data collection to be meaningful within an organization. If you don't feel safe enough to do it, you won't do it. And it, it, it's a journey individuals that have to go through. And it's, it's, it's up to organizations that, that, that employ people to, to, to go above and beyond to make sure that people know that, you know, at whatever pace makes sense to them, embracing embracing their fullest selves in, in, in work and accepting the allyship and advocacy of other people on your behalf is something which, you know, we really, really encourage you to do. Um, and 
you know, once once that happens, it, it, it's amazing. Um, you know, there was a great example earlier this year when Jake Daniel became the first out active professional footballer in the UK since, since you know, poor Justin Fashion, who bless him. Um, he gave an interview, I remember he said that, that after he came out, the next day he went out and scored four goals. You know, I mean, he hadn't done that in the longest time. And it was just because he said, you know, that I suddenly felt this huge weight was lifted from me. And, and the fact that people were just accepting of who I was. And, and obviously he was the only out LGBTQ plus person on that football team, but the rest of them stepped up to, to, to you know, be active allies for him just was a huge weight off his shoulders. And, and that translates to every workplace. His, his workplace is a football pitch, but, you know, most workplaces are things like offices. And, you know, if you've got somebody in, in, in your office who is, is giving you, you know, advocacy and support, you know, at, at some point, however, you, you know, reluctant you may be just because, you know, you, you may have had your fingers burned about, about, about disclosing in the past. You know, if there are people who are like that, and there's particularly if there's, say, say a buddy or an employee resource group, you know, find them, you know, find them your safe space. I mean, eventually they are, they are there almost exclusively with a good heart. And really what, what that's about is, it's really all about that. And it's, it's a mutual learning process. You can help them learn further to understand and help further amplify their voices as, as a champion for your cause. If you give, give back to them what they're trying to give to you. So see it as a sort of mutual mentoring, a, a, a nice, uh, virtuous circle of of of, uh, of support uh, and you know I, I think in the end ultimately you, you, most people do come to the place where they think well this is I, I do see that there is you know genuine support here this is not just semantics it's not it's just not just optics you know people here do care and certainly you know places like Macquarie I was very thrilled to see by, by the end I mean you know everybody was like that yeah and I think it's it's very interesting now to see that change go from you know allies we assume in this context means people that are cisgendered that are heterosexual but we find ourselves now as white gay males you know almost being allies for other members in our community especially in you know a corporate context I'm sure that that's something that you know I know you have experience with um, I believe it was at uh, Macquarie as well where you were part of the um, work around gender identity and the language and educating um, with HR policy and things like that. So why is it important that, you know, we always maintain that sort of selfless attitude? Because it's very easy for someone to sit there and be like, right, I personally am comfortable in this work environment. And, you know, it, it's valid if, if that's all you feel comfortable, you know, achieving, then that is perfectly valid. But for people that do want to go that step further and help those that they know are looking for support, are in need of support, how have you approached that? What are the steps people can take that you would recommend to other people? Yeah, I mean, it, it is valid. And, you know, not, not everybody has the time or the energy um, to give of more than they, you know, the, the, of themselves more than, than almost the basics of, of even, I mean, just saying I, I need to get through my day my day is absolutely brutal you know don't expect me to be doing any more than that maybe they'll step up as a bit of a passive ally in some cases but you know not everybody can do that and, and we have to accept that you know the world is diverse and and you know that that extends to, to that as well you know not not everybody is is equipped to be the the advocate that, that we would like them to be for all causes but you know where, where people do have time and energy um Let's tap into it. It is it is crucial that we do not stop at our own 
at our own little vested interest because first of all that, that all that does is create an echo chamber you, you'll just be sitting talking to people who fundamentally agree with you which is you know if we take that into the work context that's exactly what i'm saying we shouldn't be doing you want people to be giving a different view giving you know something which is synergistic and, and you can grow from and learn from and and together develop and evolve um and, and if all we're doing is sitting and agreeing with, with each other that that's that's not going to happen so it is useful to get external viewpoints and that's for me, that's really one of the things that I'm, I'm always trying to, 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 to prioritize. And it gets me into a little bit of trouble sometimes because I'm very much about engagement because I, I don't believe you can ever progress a conversation by just you know talking to, to people who, who look and sound like you. You, you need to step out beyond that. Um, the echo chamber is, is a very dangerous place to be. It, it's great for creating a feeling of, of that safe space, that support, but... It, it can only go so far. And if you want to progress the cause, you need to take into account other people's views. Unsavory though they may be, you know, like cancel culture is, is a bit of a, a buzzword. And if it gets out of control, or if all you do is shut down people before we actually hear what they've got to say, I mean, it, it tests your boundaries for sure. I mean, you know, some, some of the things that people say, I think, oh, bloody, it's so toxic. How, how am I really going to be expected to listen to that? You know, in not every case is it going to be uh, safe, but you know, an, an awful lot of, of people come at a, 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 any particular issue from a, a slight different perspective to, to 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 mine or yours. And if we don't engage with that, then how are we ever going to find a common ground? And 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 you know, quite often you know, people have a disagreeing viewpoint because of something they just don't know. It could be a misunderstanding, it could be misinformation, just just a lack of awareness. And you need to engage with people to find that out and try to bring them across the cusp into, into you know, how we, we see and believe things. In the process of doing that, you're going to bump into people whose views you don't like and, and you're going to struggle to, 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 to engage with. And that's just part of it. You know, unfortunately, that's the case. We're in that right now, of course, the, the LGBTQ plus community. There's a lot of, lot of letters in that acronym. And, you know, we... we have struggled particularly in the UK recently with with the T and and making sure that you know the T is is very clearly part of you know along with the LGB. I'm extremely you know I'm 110 trans inclusive and very much a, an an ally and advocate for that community. But I understand that an awful lot of LGB people are not. I mean we're not just talking about a lot of straight people and JK Rowling sort of you know going off on Twitter about it. But there are people within the LGB community. And an awful lot of people who are involved in the early days of of of, of the LGB um, uh, rights movement in the UK, um, who are you know not inclusive of, of 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 trans and and the gender critical lobby and LGB alliance and all of that, you know, are, are very vocal. And it's it's really really tough because fundamentally I disagree with everything they've got to say, but I want to find a way to engage with it because I think that some people in that in that lobby are there for for reasons which I can address, which is you know you're you're missing some facts, you're you're misunderstanding something, so you're being misinformed. An awful lot of things that people you know, particularly the you know trans community are are being accused of, if you like, now are are, are repurposed um, accusations from 30, 40 years ago that were leveled at people who are who are lesbian and gay, um, or even more so, bi actually. So, you know, we, we just need to find ways to unpack that and, and have conversations with people which are constructive rather than just you know, taking pot shots at a distance. The challenge, unfortunately, with the gender, gender critical community is that they're not really interested in, in, in engaging that much. They are 
very much about sort of, you know, bots on Twitter and, and creating a, a distance warfare. But that's not going to stop me trying. You know, we re really do need to, people to understand that, you know, everybody's identity and orientation is, is crucial. And if just because I, I don't happen to be trans, for example, doesn't mean I, I shouldn't want to understand what the experience of a trans person is like in and out of the workplace and, and what it takes for them to feel included, just as it took for me as a gay man to feel included and be able to give of, of my best self, you know, at, at work every day and, and just in my life. Yeah, I, th I think it's, it's very interesting to see how a personal perspective can shape not only your your views and opinions, but also the way in which you receive um, those of others, like you're saying. So just sort of on that note, how would you say that your personal experiences, um, potentially, you know, discrimination you may have faced in the workplace? I know you're someone that's traveled a lot around the world for work. So have you been to places where, you know, you've had to kind of question the way in which you as a gay man has been interpreted by that culture by individuals and how has that therefore shaped your perspective to then tackle those issues for other gay people but also people within the rest of the lgbtq plus community or other minority communities yeah well i mean i'm i'm hand on heart i'm a very lucky person to, to have had the opportunities to and, and experiences that, I, that I've had in my in my life. I mean, you know, growing up in the in the in the seventies, in in you know, I'm I'm originally from East London, and I grew, I went to school in Walthamstow, which Walthamstow is, is uber trendy now. But trust me, in the seventies, it was it was quite a long way from that. And it was you know the, the school I went to, I just went to a, a a state primary school, and most of my friends were of color. You know, it's just because that that's well, that was the population. You know, and you know for it. I mean, made no difference to me whatsoever. So I was always kind of just, this was always just part of, part of life. And I thought that, that was, that was absolutely great. And, and, you know, that, that was a bonus for me to have, you know, a, a grounding at a very young age where you think, well, you know, we're all just kind of, you know, in this together. What's, the, you know, we don't want to be sort of identifying in any particular subset way. We're all, you know, we're all the same. We're just all at school together. So, you know, that, that sort of thing, you know, obviously further in my life, you know, the fact that I, I did live abroad, you know, I, I lived in Spain for four years when I was a kid. Um, I also lived in Asia for 14 years, um, in Hong Kong for 11, Singapore for three. My husband is from Hong Kong. Um, he's, he's, he's ethnically Chinese. Um, so obviously had an awful lot of, 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 you know, different experiences or experiences of different cultures and different, uh, different characteristics. And that, that does help, you know, it does help you know expand your mindset. And I'm, I'm I, I can't sit here and, and say that I would have exactly the same attitudes if I hadn't been through that. But you know, not everybody will, and it's up to me to try to help those people who have different experiences or, or less opportunities to, to understand what what that means. So, personal experience is, is valid, but it's not it's not the be all and end all. You know that yeah, you know, what, what you really want is characteristics which are, are, are sort of you know more cross-purpose if you like i mean as long as somebody is open-minded as long as somebody is is curious and and, and, and empathetic and, and willing to look to to explore new things to, to listen to different viewpoints and, and, and when listening is is a, is a key point I mean, there are different ways of listening you need to listen to understand listen to learn listen to to absorb rather than just listen to correct and say you know no hang on that's not right and you know just gain say what they're saying all of those sorts of characteristics enable you to have a, a, an open mindset and a more inclusive mindset. 
And, you know, you don't necessarily have to have had, you know, the personal lived experiences that, that, that I have or other people have had way more lived experiences. Um, but it, it, those certainly help. But, you know, if, if you can foster that sort of mindset, then that, that's certainly a, a, a critical way of, of, of making sure that you are open and inclusive in, in, in the way you deal with the world going forward. So, yes, I mean, I, I've had different, difficult times. I lived in Singapore when it was, you know, it was illegal to be LGBTQ+. It was never very actively enforced in, in fairness, but, you know, it was something which you you did check yourself on. I mean, you certainly didn't talk about it in, you know, somebody casual strike, strike up a conversation. I, I was in a relationship at the time with somebody who didn't live in Singapore, and I certainly didn't mention that, you know, in, in, unless I was in within my trusted safe space. Um, you know, fortunately, recently, in, very recently in the in last few weeks, it's become, you know, it's been legalized in Singapore. So that's a big win. Um, but at the time it wasn't, then it was challenging. So, you know, you, you have to, you know, look at yourself in the experiences that you've been through um, as, as part of a learning journey and, and try to apply that for, for a broader learning for other people. Yeah. I think that brilliantly um, brings us on to sort of a, a final question for today. And I think that's centered around, you know, a lot of people will have been listening today and be thinking actually a lot of what you've discussed is something that you know I've felt in my personal context I've you know experienced this or I've really wanted to speak out about this and it's incredibly validating for a lot of people to see that kind of thought be then um, translated into action and I think leadership is something that you know we haven't really touched on too much today but it's very integral to you know, what you've done and some of the successes that you've had. Um, so I think it would just be really interesting to, to finish today with kind of what leadership means to you, what makes a good leader and how does that shape, you know, your work going from obviously leading groups like the um, LGBTQ plus um, group at Macquarie to then obviously now leading initiatives um, with the inclusion imperative. Yeah. Right. And that, that's a really great question because you know, leaders are going to be key in, in, in making further progress in this space. And let's be clear, when we say leaders, it, it means everybody who has a voice. You know, you don't actually need to be the CEO of an organization or even actually formally a, a manager. You know, those are largely the people that we're talking about here is that they're the ones who are the, the culture creators. But everybody who has any influence, whether it's formal or not, is in, is effectively a bit of a leader in this in, in, in that, that particular context. And leadership is is a separate skill. It really is. I mean, there's there's all these wonderful theories about the inefficient organization. Everybody gets promoted through organizations because they're good at the job that they do, which is a hard skill, until they get to a job which they're not good enough at to get to get promoted no further. And that basically just means that you know they weren't quite good enough at the job that they've ended up in. They were better at all of the other ones. So you know, and that job usually comes with more managerial slash leadership responsibilities because they get promoted to look after people. And that isn't for everyone. Not everybody has those those leadership slash management skills. It's a it's a very different thing. There's largely soft skills, really, you know, relative to hard skills. Most people can learn the hard skills of, of doing a job. You know, the technical job that that is required. You learn that. That's fine. You're good at that. It does not mean that you have management slash leadership skills. Those are largely soft skills. And for me, that you know, that you can summarize those in, into three or four key points. I mean, first of all, I've mentioned one already. You need to be communication is absolutely key. You know, as a, a manager, you you need to be able to to embrace the people who are within your sphere of influence, within your shadow. Um, 
and you need to, to to find a way to communicate to them in a way that they will understand and embrace. You know, you hear people saying, I've got an open door policy, come and talk to me anytime. That's great, but it's very passive. It's expecting other people to come to you the whole time. As, as a leader, you should be doing active outreach, active communication, making sure that people know, you know, who you are, what you think, how much you value what other people think. Um, and, and that is just a, a daily task of, of, of really being active in the way you present yourself in a communication context. So that's really very important. Um, secondly, it's really about uh, empathy. You know, that empathy is, is absolutely key. You know, making sure that you, nobody can, it's a bit of a misnomer. You know, empathy is usually defined as trying to put yourself in someone else's shoes. It's impossible. You can never be fully understanding of what other somebody else's life and lived experience is, but you can make it a, a, a damn good effort at, at trying to, to, to understand it. You know, you put yourself in their shoes to the extent that you can. So be open-minded, be curious, try to listen and learn where, where they have got a viewpoint. You know, Macquarie and an awful lot of organizations have reverse mentoring programs in, in, in LGBTQ plus space. That's a great way for somebody who is more senior to learn about the lived experience of someone who is more junior and, and coming at it from the, 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 the aspects of how that minority characteristic fits into the workplace that they are operating in. So be curious, be, be empathetic, be open-minded. That's really the second thing. And the third thing is, I would say, is really about um, authenticity, really making sure that you are presenting yourself in a human way. You know, there's, there's far too much of a temptation for leaders to to pretend that they know everything, you know, like, you know, they're absolutely infallible, you know, don't question my judgment because I must know it all. Look where I am. I've got, a, you know, a great track record. You know, I, I don't need your viewpoint. No, I mean, as I said, management and leadership is 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 distinct from the hard skills of the job, you know, and, and management, management's a good manager or a good leader takes the input from and surrounds themselves by other people who not only are good at the job, but may have a different viewpoint and will help create some sort of you know, cross-pollination, a, a synergy that that uh, that helps them get better at what they do, and that requires all you know leaders to 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 embrace something which makes them quite often very uncomfortable, which is a sense of their own vulnerability. You know, you're you're not flawless. You are not you know completely uh, you know fontable truth. You you basically need to say like I embrace my own fallibility, and and that is something which you know most leaders will flinch from, you know, the fear of, of not looking like you know what you're doing, the fear of perceived incompetence, you know, would run screaming from that. But it is absolutely cr critical. Brene Brown has talked about vulnerability a lot. And, you know, that's 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 essential. All of these things, so communication, empathy, uh, authenticity, we're talking about building trust um, and building faith within within the people in, that, that are within your shadow, within your sphere of influence, even if they're not their direct, direct reports to you. That for me is is a good leader. It, it is distinct from being good at your your day job, if you like the the, the nuts and bolts of being a banker, an accountant, uh, you know, the plumber, whatever it is. If you are sitting, you know, in any sort of leadership position, you need to be practicing these soft skills uh, in uh, overlaying those hard skills. Otherwise, you're not really leading, um, and you're certainly not going to be leading the conversation in the way that we need people to be, who have influence, to be doing to to further promote inclusion and in, in, in the workspace. That's fantastic. Thank you so much um, for your time today, Jeffrey. That's been really, really insightful. I really appreciate you uh, agreeing to do this with us. Um, thank you so much for, for joining Very us. Very welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. And I, I, hope I, I hope I didn't talk too much. <laughs>